middle of this sermon series called The Real God, studying through some of the characteristics of God, desiring to know the one true God, the real God, better. Last week we talked about the sovereignty of God, the fact that he is ruler of all. He created all, so he is the king of the kingdom. He gets to do as he pleases. And today we're going to be talking about the holiness of God. Now, in this day and time, we go to a lot of efforts to make people all feel equal. I'm not trying to be political, but that's just a fact. Everybody wants to look the same, act the same, talk the same. It was easy when I was a kid. You knew the difference between a winner and a loser because the winner had a trophy. The loser was crying to his mommy. <laughs> now you can't tell the difference because everyone's got a trophy. I will let you decide how you're going to handle that in your family. I'm not trying to say something. I'm just saying something. I'm not going to say you're a bad parent if you let your kid keep a trophy he did not earn. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Thank you. In my home, we earn trophies. And if we don't, we don't keep them. Anyways. Back to holiness. The, uh, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible says that holiness is the chief attribute of God and a quality to be developed in his people. I want you to hear that. It is the chief attribute of God and a quality to be developed in his people. You are not holy. God is holy. We are being developed into holy people. So, you know, keep that in mind when you are acting like you are holier than everyone else around other people. Holiness and the adjective holy occur more than 900 times in the Bible. Do I need to do something different? The primary Old Testament word for holiness means to cut or to separate. Fundamentally, then, holiness is a cutting off or a separation from what is unclean and consecration to what is pure. The complete topical guide to the Bible says that God's holiness is the moral excellence of God that unifies all his other attributes and is expressed through his actions, setting him apart from all others. And A.W. Tozer in his great book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says, we know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even Imagine. So holiness, it's, it's God's otherness. It sets him apart. Because of his holiness, God is completely unique. First Samuel 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. What I want you today, to know today is that God is different. He is different from us. You are not God. You don't look like God, act like God, talk like God. Sometimes you might decide to worship yourself in place of the one true God, but all that does is make you a God who's not very good at making choices, okay? God is different. There is no category that includes God and something else, God and someone else. There is God, and then over here in another category is everything else, creator and creation, so today we're going to talk about four specific things about God's holiness. Number one is that God's nature is holy. Number two, God's name is holy. Number three, God's dwelling place is holy. And finally, number four, God's people 
are to be holy. And I'm sorry you're having to write all that out. I was out of town this week, and I knew by the time I figured this out that Andy had already done those sheets, and I was not going to make her redo that. But there it is, God's nature, God's name, God's dwelling place, and God's people. Now, because of that, we'll be in a different passage of Scripture for each of those four points. So get your Bibles out. Hope you brought them with you. And the first one we'll be in is Isaiah chapter 6. God's nature is holy. Isaiah is close to the middle of your Bible. If you find Psalms, it's just a little bit after that. And I think this passage will sound familiar to you. We'll read verses 1 through 5 in Isaiah chapter 6. God's word says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. King Uzziah had actually been a really good king. He was very successful in everything he touched. And he was king for a long time up until the end when he got so strong that he got proud and that it did not end well for him. You can read about that in Second Chronicles. But for our point today, he had died. And Isaiah the prophet had made his way, probably went over to the palace, you know, and peeked in. Probably at a time of mourning when the king had died. He had been king for more than 50 years. So imagine us having one president for 50 years, you know. This ruler had been a big part of the life of God's people. And there was, of course, no king. The king was dead. There was probably a tombstone somewhere. And Isaiah makes his way over to the temple. And God, in a vision, allows him to see something incredible. See, he had gone, and of course the king was not there, but when Isaiah looked, there was a throne, and there was a king sitting on it, amen? It says that his robe, the hem of his robe filled the whole temple. Can you imagine how big that is? Okay, that's how great a king this guy was. He was the king of kings, the lord of lords. And Isaiah gets to see this. And there were angels around him, not the angels that were made out of gold over the Ark of the Covenant, but actual angels with six wings each, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This continuous song had a single theme. It was about the holiness of God, which gives us two truths. First, the, the Hebrew language uses repetition to express either a superlative like um, pure gold, which is actually translated gold, gold, or a totality. But here, for the only time in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, equality is raised to the third time, as if to say that the divine holiness is so far beyond anything the human mind can grasp that a super superlative had to be invented. Holy, holy, holy. And furthermore, this transcendent holiness is the total truth about God. God is holy. God's nature is holy. This is the only word it says in the Bible that describes God three times in a row. We don't ever read that God is mercy, 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 or God is good, good, good. 
We sing a song about good, good father, and that song has lots of repetitions. I just think that guy couldn't think of anything else better to write sometimes. So. I don't, that's a great song. It's who you are. It's like, just say it again. It's who you are. I got nothing. One more time. It's who you are. It's, it's through the whole song. You can look it up later. But no, here the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We learn in Revelation chapter 4 that these angels never quit singing it. In verse 8 of chapter 4 of Revelation, it said the angels never cease saying, holy, holy, holy. Never. For eternity. Because he's holy. His nature is holy. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you've taken a road trip and you included the kids. Usually we take road trips when we include the kids because if it was just the two of us, we'd fly. You know, we're not paying for tickets for them. But if <laughs> tickets are expensive. But I don't know if you know this, but when we take road trips with our kids, in the very beginning, everything is nice and smooth. Everyone's happy. We're starting this thing. And it doesn't take long for my family, but a couple hours down the road, it goes kind of haywire. The kids are fussing back and forth. They just won't quit. You, you, me, 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 nah, 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 nah. Okay, he did it, she did it, I'm, 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 they're slapping. And have you ever done this? You go, guys, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, stop, listen, listen to that. Wait, wait, don't talk, wait, listen. You know what that is? It's peace and quiet. <laughs> have you ever done that? And I need that right now, so please quit talking. Have you ever done that? The Lord never gets tired of hearing these angels saying, holy, holy, holy. They just keep saying it forever, holy, holy, holy. The Lord never goes, angels, can you just take a break for a minute or like a millennia? You know, and come back, come back later. No, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His nature is holy. God in and of himself is holy. He's different. He's set apart. He's not like anyone else. He is holy. God's nature. Secondly, God's name is holy. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. You're in Isaiah, so you're already close. The order goes Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, okay, and turn to chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, and we're going to read verses 21 to 28. Ezekiel 36, 21 to 28. Verse 21 says, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel, his children, had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. I want you to do me a favor and circle that word Lord right there in verse 22. Thus says the Lord God. We're going to come back to that. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. He keeps letting them know that they did something wrong, doesn't he? And which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. I want you to circle that word Lord in verse 23. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. Okay, so you got two Lords circled. We're going to come back to that. Declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, 
and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. These words sound really familiar to us from uh, the book of Jeremiah in chapter 31, what we would call the new covenant. God is going to do something. He's going to make a new people. He's going to give them a new heart. And instead of writing his laws and statutes on stone tablets, he's going to write it on their hearts. And he will be their God and they will be his people. He's getting ready to act. And he's telling his people what he's going to do in order to rescue them from their sin of idolatry. And why is he going to do this? Not for their sake. He says he's going to do it for his name's sake, for his holy name's sake. God's not going to allow his holy name to be drugged through the mud any longer. His people, his people that he had rescued and chosen and done all these great things for, were disgracing his name amongst all the nations that they were living at the time. See, they would, they would worship God, Yahweh, on the Sabbath, and then throughout the week they would go to all their high places and worship idols. Does that sound familiar? God said, no more. He was going to change them from the inside out for his name's sake, because his name is holy. Now look at verse 22 at that word Lord where we circled. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. Do you see that Lord, capital L, and then lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d? The word Lord here is descriptive of God. It's sovereign God, like we talked about last week, or ruler God. Ezekiel is letting them know who is speaking. This is the God that's over all. Listen to what he has to say. Now look at verse 23. And the Lord we circled there, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. Do you see that? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Does that say that in your Bible? This is God's personal name. This is the name Yahweh, the unspeakable name. His people wouldn't even say it because of their fear and reverence for his name. Yahweh. This is the way that God introduced himself to Moses in chapter 3 of Exodus at the burning bush episode. Do you remember that? God's name is holy. This is what it says, chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord, God of your fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever." And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God's name is holy. I mean, there's some famous names in our world that you think about. You know, you, I mean, as a kid, my favorite name to hear was Michael. You know, you knew who he was talking about. You didn't even have to say Michael Jordan. You just say Michael. And it's Michael Jordan. His name was famous. But his name isn't holy. His name's not holy. I mean, even in Christian circles, we think Billy Graham. And when you say Billy Graham, you almost want to, like, get on your tiptoes. I mean, Billy Graham. I mean, he's led a lot of people to the Lord. Billy Graham. I mean, just saying it sounds evangelistic. (laughs) Billy Graham. Billy Graham's name is not holy. Yahweh, his name is holy. It's even the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. That's not part of the address That's the first petition. He's saying, he doesn't say, holy is your name. He says, holy be your name. I want your name to be holy on earth as it is in heaven. Help me to think of your name as holy. 
How much weight does the name of the Lord carry in your heart? When you hear his name profaned in movies or on the TV, or you see it written somewhere, or you hear someone say that, does that hurt your heart? When you profess his name as a Christian, as a child of God, and then you live in a way that doesn't look like that, does that make you feel grief on the inside? Because you have profaned his name? When you approach him in prayer, are you aware of how holy his name is when you address him? God's not your homeboy or your buddy. He is the almighty Yahweh of the world. His name is holy. God's nature is holy. God's name is holy. Thirdly, God's dwelling place is holy. I want you to know that wherever God is, that place is holy. Let's turn to that scene in Exodus chapter 3. That's the second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. This is the beginning of Moses' relationship with God. He had escaped and ran away to Midian because he had uh, realized that someone had seen him murder someone, and he was escaping, and he was living there and uh, keeping the flock of his father-in-law that he met while he was there. Now, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said to himself, I will turn aside to go see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am, talking to the bush. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses was encountering the one true God, the real God, the creator, the mighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the presence of God in that place made that place holy. Do you see that? This was not a holy bush the day before. This was not some sort of holy Midianite burial ground. Okay, if it were, Moses would have already known that and he wouldn't have walked up on it or else he would have took his shoes off. But no, God said, take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy ground. The place became holy when a holy God was present. When God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt later, before they got to go to the promised land, do you remember what they did? They had to wander around the wilderness. They weren't really great at taking instructions. God gave them new instructions, and, and he told them how to construct the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. And this was going to be God's dwelling place amongst his people, and it was holy. Wherever the Ark went, that place was a holy place. In fact, later, the Ark ended up in David's palace, and David's palace was considered holy because of the presence of the Ark. Eventually, David's son, Solomon, would build the big temple. And inside the temple, where only a consecrated priest could go, was what? The Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God. It's always been God's desire to dwell with his people. And after Jesus ascended back to heaven to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father... 
the very Spirit of God was sent down to dwell in the hearts of God's children, making their hearts a holy dwelling place of God. Which brings us to our fourth point today. God's nature is holy. God's name is holy. God's dwelling place is holy. And finally, God's people are to be holy. See, up to this point, I've heard lots of amens and lots of heads nodding and everything because we are not going to disagree that God is holy. But now we begin to turn toward the application part of the sermon when we realize that we too are to be holy. And that can get a little bit nerve-wracking as we think about our own sin. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter at the very other end of your Bible. It comes right before 2 Peter. I really thought more people would know that answer. 1 Peter chapter 1. And let's just look at verse 15 and 16. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's written, by the way, in Leviticus. Peter is quoting the law. And God told his people, be holy because I am holy. Be holy in all your conduct. Look at verse 14 right above that. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. So what does it look like to be holy? Well, for one, it looks like not being conformed to our old way of life. It says our former ignorance. The time where we didn't know better. Before God's Spirit came to dwell in our hearts. The reason we would sin is because that was our nature. We had a sinful nature from the day of our birth. Before we knew better. But now we know better if God's dwelling place is our heart, His Spirit living in us. And we should no longer be conformed to our old patterns of life. Does that make sense? So every one of us have lots of different patterns in our past life. Some of us have patterns of sexual immorality, of handling finances wrong, of treating others wrong. Some people have past life of murder, like the Apostle Paul, racism, all kinds of past patterns in our life that we are supposed to let go completely. Put it aside because it is our past passions, our former ignorance. So God's nature is holy. His name is holy. His dwelling place is holy. Regardless of what you think or how you live, the fact is God is holy. That doesn't change. The question for us today is, if God's people are also to be holy, how do we become holy? And the answer is twofold, and it's cooperation between us and Jesus. Number one is this. Becoming holy is only possible through Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, listen to what the apostle says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, why? In order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So he appeared in order to be the one that takes away our sins. We know 
We're gospel people that there's nothing we can do on our own effort that would ever be good enough to remove our sin, to be forgiven of all of that, and to be able to deserve eternal life with Christ. It's only possible through Jesus and his act on the cross. Grace is not only the forgiveness of sin, though, but it's also the taking away of sin so that we can, in fact, start to become holy like God is holy. So number one, becoming holy is only possible through Jesus Christ. Number two, becoming holy involves striving after God. See, although Christ makes it possible, Scripture says there is a role that we play. Ephesians 4 says this, to put off your old self. That's a command. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to put off our old self. Those, those past desires, those past patterns and habits of our former ignorance before we knew better, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And another command, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness. When we put on the new self, we begin to look different than we used to look. Doesn't happen all at once. Amen? Anybody been trying to look a different way for a while? Sometimes those old sins, those old patterns of our past, they just keep popping up. But we are to be striving after God. Jerry Bridges, in his great book, The Pursuit of Holiness, he says this, One day as I was reading the second chapter of 1 John, I realized that my personal life's objective regarding holiness was less than that of John's. He was saying, in effect, make it your aim not to sin. Make it your aim not to sin. And I thought about this and realized that deep within my heart, my real aim was not to sin very much. I don't know about you, but one of the, the negative things about living in this age of communication and, and information at, the, at our fingertips anytime we want is that we end up comparing ourselves to a lot of other people. Our eyes are fixed on everyone else. We're really concerned about celebrities and athletes and the politics and all the things going on around us. And what we end up doing is we, we set our eyes on all these other things and we compare ourselves, whether it's how many likes they get or how many friends and followers they got or views or whatever it is, or how they look or how they're doing successfully in their job and finances. And, oh, look, their family gets to vacation in all these different places and all that stuff. And our eyes are just fixed everywhere comparing ourselves to others when they ought to be Fixed on God, the Father, Yahweh, whose name is holy. He's over here going, hey, I'm the one who sets the standard of holiness. See, we even do it in our Christian walk. We look around at people and we go, I wonder, okay, based on their outward uh, stuff they got going on and what they're willing to admit, they sin about this much and I sin about this much and we're trying to decide how much sin can I get away with and still be a good Christian. You ever done that? You, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Well, I would never do that. So, I mean, I must be doing pretty good. But God sets that standard. You know, it didn't take long for us to realize that little Braxton wanted to be a little bit like me. 
he was still really young. I mean, I think like two. And we would catch him sitting on the couch by himself watching Tiger Woods play golf on TV. You know, weird things. And he's never even lived in Texas, but he loves the Dallas Cowboys. You know, I love the Dallas Cowboys. One of the first phrases that he put together, not just a word, you know, but a phrase, one of his first phrases was Romo to Witten. Romo to Witten. He would yell it as he ran around the house. After Tony Romo had found Jason Witten for a touchdown, he would yell it, Romo to Witten, Romo to Witten. And there were times where, you know, from, from looking from out of the, of the scene, Brooke would see Braxton kind of watching me, you know, wanting to stand like his daddy or use mannerisms or try to talk like his daddy. If y'all remember, Braxton had the deepest little voice. Yeah, hey, daddy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he wanted to just be a little bit like me. Recently, he was at my mom and dad's house visiting, and he found the Bible I used in fifth grade for our church's Bible drill. And he asked Kami, that's my mom, if he could have it. And then just a few weeks ago, he used my little Bible for the Heritage Bible drill. You know, he just, he wants to be a little bit like his father. And what I want to tell you today is there ought to be this desire in our hearts to be like our father. We ought to strive each day keeping our eyes fixed on him, watching him through his word to see how we ought to live, how we ought to act, how we ought to handle ourselves. What are his ways? This Bible talks all through from beginning to end about his ways. What are those ways and how do I follow them? We need to do our best to be holy because our Father is holy. The bad news is that on this earth, the truth is we will never meet that standard. As God's children, his spirit does dwell in us and he is changing us. But our selfish and prideful flesh still remains. Hebrews 12 says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's scary. No one will be righteous enough to receive his gift of eternal life. No one. The good news is our hope is not in our holiness. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you alone are holy. You have given us the opportunity to be called children of God. You have made your holy dwelling place our own hearts. And yet because of our flesh, we still fall short. Yet in spite of that, because of your great grace and love for us, you have made a way for us to receive your righteousness. Father, would you give us courage to live in a way that is pleasing to your sight, to live in a way that is worthy of being called Christian, using your holy name as our own. Remind us of your holiness. Help us to set our eyes on you and your holy word that we would be changed, that we'd be, we would become a holy people that would not be profaning your name to those around us, but we would be lifting it up and being a light to those around us who are living in darkness. Thank you, God, for your word. Would it direct us and lead us in our life?
Thank you, God, for your son, Jesus, and his act on the cross that made a way for us when there was no other way. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.